I think in sales and especially when you find yourself in a high growth company, there's the word more. <laughs> we need more. We need more. We need more. 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 More everything. And more is not always the answer. And so this idea that you want to solve for the root problem, not solve for symptoms. This is Taking the Lead, a podcast for B2B tech professionals, leaders, and executives who want to learn from female icons in the tech industry. In each episode, host Christina Brady interviews women who are driving revenue for some of the most respected tech companies in the world. Are you ready to get inspired? Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Taking the Lead. I am Christina Brady. I am the Chief Strategy Officer of Sales Assembly. If you don't know what we are, we are the all-in organization that helps you to be fast and focused from your people to your infrastructure. So if you are a scaling B2B SaaS company, this is a resource exactly for you to help you scale faster and do that in a way that impacts every individual in your go-to-market org from training to certifications to support to advisory and more. I am excited today to be sitting down with Margaret Winnegar. Margaret, welcome. Oh my welcome. gosh. Hi. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> this is a treat. I've been like hoping this day would come. Yes. Well, you you have a show as well. And so I was very excited just to vibe with you because I love interviewing other podcast hosts. One, because you tend to be a jolly and interesting bunch. And two, you have a lot of incredible things to say. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull as much <laughs> of that incredibleness out of you today. But first... This right now is a little bit of the merger of two really, really big parts of your professional and also somewhat personal life. So tell us your journey and fill everyone in on what I mean by this moment where it is kind of culminating all together. Yes. What brings oh, us Oh, yes. The, the very quick version is I fell backwards into tech sales a couple years out of college. I was a swimmer and they needed somebody who could speak the swimming lingo. And so I got my first sales job as an account executive working at a software company out in San Diego. And I loved it. About a year in, I got my first flavor for management. And I had always wanted that. I'd always been in leadership roles growing up. And it was like a dream come true. And it was a very painful couple of years. I definitely cut my teeth on the, that first group of hires I had, learned so much. And then went through a big acquisition and ended up relocating to Atlanta, got an opportunity to run the sales development team at SalesLoft, was able to take that team from eight to 24, just had so much fun going through that kind of high growth stage, and then ended up attempting to go to a smaller startup, learned that that was not for me. I tend to do better at a little bit larger, a little bit more resource company, but went to a very early stage company with three sales reps, grew the team up built out SDR function, ran the AE team. And then this, I took a stint off of sales leadership and we did a group called Girls Club. And it was focused on getting more women into sales leadership. And it was my first flavor of like, I felt that first inkling of like, this feels right. I don't, I don't know what this is. I always thought sales, sales, sales leadership, linear career path, but there was something about it that just felt so right. And so I did that for a year and then had an incredible opportunity to uh, run the North American sales team at MindBody and take over a hundred plus person organization. And I couldn't pass that up. It had been something I'd really been wanting to do to do something at scale, but also again, having resources. And I knew I, I had the capacity for it. And so got to come in, do that six months into this transformation 
COVID hit and we served the salon and spa market, which was just decimated. And so I think, you know, many of you probably know the rest of that story. And we ended up, I started the podcast that I do, Rising Tide, in October of 2020. I needed a creative cathartic outlet to get to connect with other incredible women. And this is where I started interviewing women to tell their stories behind their career. And I ended up learning a ton. And my position was then eliminated in February of 2021. And what was really great about it is I had probably known now for two years that I was not meant to be in sales leadership. But I, what, I, it took me a very long time to come to peace with that. Again, I, I just spent a decade focused on building this career path. I was not willing to give that up. And yet I, my heart was being pulled in this other direction and my purpose was just somewhere else. And so now after that transition from mind-body, I knew it was time to give, give life to that voice. And so I launched Rising Tide formally. There was the podcast in Rising Tide, which is focused on transforming the workplace to be built for human beings rather than ideal workers. And you'll see me talk primarily about women because I believe that creating a balance of masculine and feminine energy and positions of power, that's how we're going to do it. So I talk a lot because the the gap right now is in getting women elevated into those roles or in starting companies. So that's kind of me in a nutshell. And so, yeah, so I'm so excited here because there has been a lot of epiphanies. It's been a very high growth year. And with the podcast, I've interviewed now over 60 women. And what's been fascinating is there's been these patterns and themes that I've seen. And you were one of the amazing women that I got to learn from. And so now in hindsight, I started to see where things that I knew in sales leadership that I thought were very exclusive to being successful in that role actually are very valuable in life. Ooh. So that's why I'm so excited because there's been a lot of moments in these recent months. <laughs> it's such a good nutshell and there's so much to dig into there. I think the first thing is it takes a lot of bravery for somebody to realize one, what they want to do. And then two, to maybe recognize what they don't want to do and what's not a great fit, especially when they have made the kind of strides and advancement that you have. The idea of saying maybe this really isn't for me when you've made it so far is terrifying. How did you come to terms with that? What a beautiful question. And I thank you for (laughs) for calling it out because it has been super hard. I just want I just want to be very, very clear. It has been a very painful experience for several reasons. One is I was very much and am still working through like identity and title being married. And Mm. so the first probably year, honestly, after people saying, what do you do? I cringed. I hated getting asked that question because I just felt so lost. And I remember like this idea of like, there was like glamour around being able to say what I was when I was a sales leader. But now it's like, I don't know what to tell you. And then people's reaction too, you know, you've got to deal with it being like, oh, okay. We don't really fit in a box. I understand. So you know, so th- there was that. That that process has been very helpful, but also very painful. And then, you know, for a long time, I really struggled to see the transferable skills. This is great. This is going to seem so ludicrous, but I, I share this because it helps. Like, I, I mean, I hope others who maybe have the blinders up like I did realize just how much of a box you might accidentally have put yourself in. When I did the podcast, I remember like almost on a regular basis, people would be like, gosh, you are such a great interviewer. And I just couldn't understand it. 
because I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. I've never done a podcast. I like, I have no idea what I'm doing. And finally, I mean, it took like six months of getting this regular feedback and people I trusted, people whose opinions I actually valued. Finally, I was like, well, what's this all about? Like, what is this? And it turned, and then I started to think, I'm like, hang on a sec. I have spent 10 years building and scaling high growth teams that I had to hire and interview thousands of people. Yeah. So I literally spent a decade of my life getting really proficient at asking people questions to understand the why behind the what. And so, you know, it's just like things like that. We're like, so it's been a, it's been an interesting process of like learning that like these things that I learned, they still hold value. I didn't just lose this piece of me. I'm not starting from scratch. So that's, I mean, I thank you for asking that question because it's been a very, it's, it's required a lot of growth, a lot of like reestablishing beliefs that I held that I needed to update. And, uh, you know, it's yeah. been very, it's been very liberating and like, the feeling I have when I'm working on things with rising tide, like I can, I could feel it in my bones, which has helped. There's definitely been this gravitational pull to go back to what I know. And yet I have to like, then I remind myself of what I feel like and how alive I feel when I work on rising tide things. And that's enough to remind me to stay there, stay with it, hang on. Like you will figure, you're going to continue figuring this out. It's going to keep getting better and it'll grow. You've already done this once in another career path. Yeah. And I have to imagine that what you're doing now, scratch, you know, I almost said scratches the box. And what I meant was scratches the itch or checks the box and it scratches the box because you're helping people to improve on what they're doing through your experience while not doing it themselves. Like you are like the penultimate coach, you know, where you're like, I have done it. I was good at it. I'm not going to do it anymore, but I'm going to help you do it a heck of a lot better. And so I have to imagine that in your time, looking at the companies that you've worked at, one, it's funny to me that, you, that you're that you like a little bit of a bigger company with more resources is where I'm comfortable, except for now, where I'm a solo founder <laughs> and an amazing company. Right. I'm, I'm going to settle there. It's like where life takes us. And I think it's beautiful. Like, yes. that's where you've wound up. It's, well, it, I love it. You know, it's funny because like right before I left my body, like I was really kind of coming to this concept of like, I was really feeling this pull to like more of a GM role because I loved as a sales. Part of what was difficult about being a sales leader is I was, don't get mad at me, folks. I got bored. I was bored. It wasn't challenging enough. I, I was always very fascinated in how it interacted and engaged with all the other parts of the business. And that was one of my superpowers. I was very proficient at cross-functional relationships and aligning and understanding their business and how, how we work together. And so I was interested in like in GM positions and, you know, running a business unit and being able to either influence or oversee parts of the entire business, not just one piece of it. And so it's funny because uh, I do like to work with experts and tap them for expertise. And so, uh, but then I also have this side of me that like really likes to do all the things because it's challenging and keeps me engaged. But yes, it's been, <laughs> it has been a little bit of a humble pill to be like, all right, well, you're going to, you're going to bootstrap this sucker for now, for now. For, for now, not, not always. <laughs> and it, you know, I, I also think that the experience that you have your first time in a leadership role is huge because I've seen several examples of people who would be phenomenal leaders. And there's so much that goes into leadership and what calls them to it initially has always been the qualitative piece of wanting to 
help people advance in their careers and wanting to coach and wanting to solve problems and wanting to inspire and wanting to take risks, like all of the good things. And yet, if their first leadership experience isn't a good one, maybe they inherited an underperforming team. Maybe they're working at a company that doesn't invest enough in their people. Maybe nobody is hitting target. Maybe the target is wrong. Maybe they don't have the brand that they need. Maybe they're not getting autonomy, like all of those things where then they go, wow, I, I got into this and I, I had no idea what leadership actually was. This is not for me. And it's really hard to sit with that person and say, well, okay, maybe leadership is for you, but not this job. Or maybe leadership isn't for you. And I think you've had the ability to experience leadership and show one, you're really good at it, but it, the, the role isn't for you. I think because you're called to a higher purpose, like you are called to making a larger impact. But I encourage people to do that too. Like is leadership wrong for you or is this job at this company not the right leadership role for you and to fully explore that? How do you mm. think how do you think people do that and actually determine properly since you've done it? It's just this job or actually leadership oh my isn't gosh. for me. <laughs> what? God, I love your question. So great. You know, um, <laughs> it's so interesting because I'll say this really quick and then I am going to answer the question. My first job, so my second year in, I had inherited an underperforming team. I basically had to fire six out of the 10 reps I had and I got to rebuild it, which was awesome. I mean, it was painful, but it was also really fun because I, I basically got to create my own team. So yeah. first year, great, but high turnover. Second year, performance reviews came around. I got annihilated in the reviews annihilated and uh, what, what the, the biggest mistake that I had done is I at the time was very much like work is work and home is home and I was very compartmentalized I had really high standards and I hadn't quite learned the lesson of what is uh what is good enough <laughs> versus like what is what do we need to actually push on that needs to be that needs to be great and also like understanding, like, does it accomplish the goal, even if it's different than how I do it? So I hadn't learned that yet. And so mm. thankfully I had a manager at the time who she, she wouldn't even give me the reviews. They were so bad, but she's like, oh, I do no. think we can glean some information out of this. And she ended up kind of sharing kind of the high, highlights, if you will. And, and then she said, you have the choice. You can either grow from this and we can work on it. Or you can go back to an individual contributor role. That's fine too. And again, I think looking inside and saying, I want this and I'm willing to work. And it then the next year was, again, another very painful growth year. But I grew so much from that experience. I was so grateful. Shannon Stewart, an amazing manager who gave me the opportunity to grow from it, learn from it. And it was when I started to realize how much of a responsibility I had as a manager. So you know, I think that was, I was very fortunate to have a manager who navigated that for me um, beautifully and she helped guide me through. What I've realized is it's funny. This is one of these things where I see a parallel between sales leadership and individual, like, like as a person kind of guiding principles. And so like, I think about it in the terms of, you know, in go-to-market strategies, you have ICPs, right? Like you have yep. your ideal customer profile and business as a company, like you do a lot of work, right? You do a lot of research because it's really important that you have focus. Who are we going after? After mm -hmm. How do we know who we need to say no to? What is misaligned with where we're ultimately trying to get? And then how do we create alignment within our organization so that we are all rowing in the same direction and we're not doing activities that are counterproductive to one another? 
And so I think about that. There's a lot of research that goes into it. And then what's neat too about the ICP is that you can update it as your company grows, as you acquire new information, you can expand into new uh, new markets. You can go up market, you can go down market, you can go into different industries. And so I see this where it's actually quite true in our lives where to answer your question, it's understanding who you are at this moment in time of what do I value? So what is, what's really important to me? What are my strengths that I have? So who am I? And, and I'm a huge fan of Gallup strength finders. Like if you struggle with your strength, just take the assessment. It's such a helpful way to articulate what makes you really special. And then you need to know like what area of your life is really important to you. You know, because I mean, you might want to manage, but this might not be the time in life where you have the time or energy or desire to focus there. So understanding what dimension of my life is important. If it's your career, maybe that's the right move. Maybe it's your relationships in your personal life. And that's, you know, work is is important, but it's not the driving force. And so having that as your foundation. So then when faced with really difficult situations, when faced with opportunities, you have qualification standards. Now you can say no without feeling guilt. You can walk away from the deal, if you will, without feeling guilty because you have your criteria of what does or does not work for you. And what's great about it as a person is that you can update it as you acquire new information, you learn new things, and you can either expand it or update it. So I, I love, you know, I think for me, that's kind of been a big thing of how to think about it. If you take like how you think about sales and just translate it into your personal life, you use the same format, just with a different foundation of what you're using as inputs. Oh, I love that. And just this idea of, you know, look, you can either something happens to you. You can either run from that experience or learn from it. Yes. I think I just quoted Rafiki from The Lion King. <laughs> but man, what a wise monkey. Like, and he's right, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know speaking of Lion King, I think there's one other thing that's very wise in there that I think is like, you know the part with Simba where they say, Simba, remember who you are. And I yeah. think this is something, and this is like such a random thought, but I love that because I think in especially, and I don't know if this is true for men, but I'll speak for women. What I've seen is that sometimes we lose ourselves along the way. What I have found really interesting about the podcast and interviewing these women is so often what ends up happening is they get pushed and pulled around in, in their lives because they're really good at a lot of things and they're not trying to be unintentional, but what they realize is that later on, they kind of reconnect with their younger self. And it's like they remember who they've always been. She just got buried a little bit over the years. And so in Lion King form, you know, it's like, remember who you are. And sometimes you have to go back. Instead of giving advice to your younger self, you need to ask her to remind you who you are. Yeah, we're such hey. moms. Listen to us. We're like, the meaning behind that moment. I mean, there, <laughs> there's also, I mean, how many hats can you stack on top of your head and keep it balanced? And how many should, how many should you before it's ridiculous? You know, unless you're a clown, the answer is not that many. And like, speaking of just deriving lessons from what's all around mm. us, sitting in these sales leadership roles, the times that you were in there growing at these companies, mm. all various stages, you have to be just a, a wealth of knowledge. And so if you were to take all of the things that you learned and what you saw at small companies, large companies, hyper growth, like being laid off, like, my God, that's a learning. I'm in the layoff camp too, right? And you're like, oh, I learned a lot. What are some things that you feel like you just pulled out that you're like, these are bits of knowledge that I will always have and take with me from, from those experiences? Yeah. Gosh, 
It's so in such a big question. <laughs> it's a really big one. I do that. I do that. If you listen to my, I like give people these ridiculous questions and then just pause and wait for them to go. Oh, my turn. Okay, <laughs> let me take that off. Yeah, it's like how do you eat an elephant one right. bite at a time? So yeah. we're just gonna. Coming from a plant-based person, I don't eat elephants, but if I did, <laughs> yeah, I would do it one bite at a time. <laughs> I've been doing one bite at a Gosh, time. Gosh, well, isn't that just like one of the the best thing. So, I mean, and that actually is probably I would, I'll piggyback on what you just said, which is, and again, I wish I could say I learned this as a sales leader. As I look back and I kind of put the lens on leadership, it definitely holds true, but I don't think I could quite articulate in this way, which is getting started. And so this is something that, again, I've learned from the women that I've interviewed and in watching them, it's so much of what ultimately led to their kind of a, a, like getting to a place where they were living in their fullest potential. It was, they started something, anything, and it allowed them to gather feedback. And I think especially if you are in an early stage company, one of the best things you could do mindset wise is take the mindset of an experimenter. Because, you know, yeah. you're going to have revenue targets, there's going to be pressure, but it's really important to set the expectation up. Part of what we're trying to figure out is what is going to be the best fit. Where are we seeing success? Not everything that we do will be a huge success, but everything we do, we can learn from. And so that to me is, you know, but you have to start. <laughs> you have to be willing yeah. to do things. And then, you know, set your expectations appropriately that, you know, you may or may not hit the target and that's okay. So I think that's a really big, that's a really big one. And that, again, I wish I could say I knew that as a sales leader, but it's definitely one thing that has kind of solidified for me in hindsight. So that's a, that's a really big one. You know, I think the, this is one that was huge for me as a sales leader, which is measure what matters. Oh my you know, gosh. I mean, I know this has been talked about a lot, but it's so fascinating to me. I just, I think in sales and especially when you find yourself in a high growth company, there's the word more, <laughs> we need more, we need more, we need more, 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 more everything. And more is not always the answer. And so this idea that you want to solve for the root problem, not solve for symptoms. And I'll give you a very like practical example. I, I was at a company and I was new. And so I was kind of in my diagnostic phase of like, what's happening here? The team was struggling to hit the growth targets. And it was, you know, I had account executives and account managers and they were struggling to hit growth targets. And so they had just hired up a bunch of account executives and majority of the team was coming in like somewhere between 60 and 70% to plan. So that was not going well. It was just, it was not good. And so the idea was like, well, we've got to sell more. We've got to get better skills. We need to do more training. And then we took a look at to say like, well, what's happening with these customers that we're selling? And what we realized is in the first 120 days, so four months, 40% of the new deals were churning. And so if you think about that, Ooh. you could solve for, we need more, go get more revenue. But what was actually happening is we were, we were hemorrhaging new customers. And, you know, you know, in sales, it's a lot easier to keep a customer than it is to go acquire a new customer. And so then, it, then we shifted the focus into where are we losing them? Are we selling the right fit? Are we creating a, an onboarding experience that allows them to realize the value quickly? What is it that we're, we're missing out on? And then the other thing was, you know, we had to implement annual contracts because we didn't have them. So also just, you know, doing some, I mean, some process things. But I think that's the really big thing too. It's like, 
looking at the looking at the measuring what matters, looking at the numbers, taking a step back and saying what what's really going on here, not what are the symptoms. And that it, it's so easy to fall in that trap and if I if I may what I found in our personal lives. So if you're a sales leader who's really proficient at this, you're in good shape because this is a very valuable skill for life, which is if you solve the root problem, there's different data. In our personal lives, we don't have numbers. I do miss numbers and it's really nice. Sales is so black and white, but we have these things called negative emotions. And negative emotions are actually an incredible data set that is vastly underutilized. And I love Dr. Susan Damon. She's a psychologist who's done a ton of research on emotions and emotional agility. And she talks about negative emotions are guideposts. And what they do is they inform us on what matters to us. And so we had, a, I'll give an example on a retreat that we had done for Rising Tide. And one of the exercises was go through negative emotions and track them and just kind of document it. And we were talking through, we were using those to help inform values because oftentimes when something triggers us, when we experience a negative emotion, that means there's a value down there. And so she came and she was like, you know, I want to be more patient. She created an aspirational value. We're like, no, we're not doing aspirational values, but let's talk about that. What, what's making you say you need to be more patient? And she shared how she was snapping at her kids a lot and felt like she was maybe overreacting. It's like, well, okay, tell us more. What's causing you to snap? What's making you so tired? She's like, well, I just I feel like I'm running around and I'm doing so many things. And I just, I'm, I'm exhausted because I've, I've, I've got a lot of commitments. And what we really found is when we peeled back, right? It's like symptom, symptom, symptom. What else, what else, what else? What we found is that she was she had struggled to set boundaries. And because she had struggled to set boundaries, she had run herself into the ground. And because she had run herself into the ground, she was then snapping at her children. And so it wasn't about being patient. It wasn't about being harder on herself. I need to do more. I need to do more. I need to do better. It was, I actually yeah. need to learn how to say no. So like, like example of like, I, I say that's a kind of a big thing is like the measuring what matters and, you know, paying attention to the numbers, that's such a big thing. You know, I'm going to pause there because I actually want to stay on that vein. There's more to it, but I feel like I need to pause and give you a chance to. <laughs> I, I've just sit, I'm just sitting back and I'm like, this is the best. I, I could listen to you talk about incredible things in a meaningful way all day. Look, it's making me a poet. I'm writing poetry. What you're what you're making me think about, though, is that. Things are rarely what they seem, whether that is whether that is business, life, anywhere, right? Things are rarely what they seem. And I think about my mom. So my mom studied immensely Eastern medicine. And the philosophy behind Eastern medicine is that you don't treat individual parts of the body. You treat the entire body. You don't say like, oh, you know, because typically if you have knee pain, it's usually a problem in your hips. If you are having consistent stomach pain, it actually might be your kidneys. If you need a root canal, oftentimes that'll present like a headache. If you have ear pain, you might have strep throat, right? And it's like, I think about all of these ways that like listening to my mom talk about like things aren't as they seem. You, when you are sick, when there's something wrong anywhere, you treat the whole body because sickness is cyclical. It is not in one place. It's kind of a bridge over to the professional B2B tech industry, right? If one thing is broken, the whole thing is broken because every element relies on itself. And so you're just, you're reminding me of that, that we don't, we don't look at things in a silo. It's not, there's just a problem right, in us. Right. 
there's just a problem in sales. There's just a problem in CS. You treat the whole right, body. Right. Right. And yeah. I think about like, um, as a manager, you know, something that is so important is like, as things are really what they seem, this is such a good mantra to remind yourself of when you're working with people on your team who behave in a way that you did not expect. Because your responsibility mm -hmm. is to seek to understand and withhold judgment. Because again, it is not, it, right? It, it's it's rarely what you assume it is. And assumptions, much like in sales, can kill all deals. They can also destroy relationships and trust. Yeah. And so, yeah. so I am a big believer of like you know when you catch yourself assuming, stop immediately in your tracks and shift into seeking to understand because especially when people don't behave in a way you expect, it's a really good time to pause and dig in to understand what's really going on. There's usually something bigger there. Yeah. And there's, I mean, that's, that's a whole path kind of in it of itself is just how many, how many assumptions and guesses we make and then build entire teams and processes off of. And it's reckless with people's lives when we do that oh, too. Right. It's like, yeah, there's, there's a skill set to, making assumptions, turning them into hypotheses, and then testing them with a pilot. And it's like, I could go on an entire speech about how to properly run pilots and do it to your point. Like at the very beginning of this episode, you said, I help organizations learn how to run with human beings and not just, you know, in employees only. Like how is a human run organization? And to me, we're like tapping on that in this whole conversation of just like, how do you be responsible to the human beings who are fueling your company and not make decisions that are reckless and are going to put them in a bad place? And to me, it's, it feels like everything you're talking about kind of goes back to that root cause of just like being a human being and treating people with the respect that they deserve as other right. human beings, even while we're at work and we have to hit the number and we have to do all of the things. It's like you never stop right. doing that. Right, right. And I, it's, you know, it's, it's such a, it is, I think that's, it's something that is so important and in, in leadership I, that's the other i think big thing is like just remembering that your job as a sales leader is a tremendous gift you think about the impact you're having on these people's lives i mean they take that home with them and so you have this opportunity to develop and grow them i think about people who have had the opportunity to work and there's something so satisfying and just seeing how they're doing and where they are and how they, you know, kind of what they've gone on to do, but it's also a tremendous responsibility. And so that doesn't mean that you don't have to make hard choices. That doesn't mean that you, you know, don't have to do things that you, you wouldn't necessarily want to do. Like during the pandemic, like having to furlough and riff 65% of my team was gut wrenching, but there's a way to do it where you can honor the individuals acknowledge what they're going through and empathize with them and treat them as a human being that's going through something really painful. And so I think that's, it's just such a big piece of, you know, you have this incredible responsibility and also this unbelievable gift to yeah. do something really meaningful as a leader and shaping the future leaders. Well, you're speaking to, to grief and the fact that human beings have to be able to process grief and process hardship um, in a proper way. And oftentimes as leaders, we feel like we have to convince people that the bullet wound they just got, like, no, no, it's okay. Here's why you should smile about that, right? Yeah. And it's like, that's, I think, where we come across really inauthentic is 
anytime there's layoffs or rifts or people aren't performing, they're not doing well, they're going out of plan. Like there's so much hardship that happens while you are at work. And the job of a leader is to help people process that grief in a professional and an effective way. It is not to right. make it better. It is not to negate their feelings. It's not to convince them that they shouldn't be upset. You don't have the right to do that. You don't have the right to tell someone, you know, you shouldn't be upset about this. And here's why, because that bullet wound is going to be a really cool scar. You could, you could tattoo a sunflower over it when it's gone, right? If someone's like, you just fired me, like, why are you, what? You know, so I think it's, it's that, it's that empathy piece that's really big too. Oh my gosh. Yes. And you know, again, like, so, so you just popped something into my mind that's such a, like, just made me have like an aha moment, which is like this idea of a letting, like, we don't sit in things long enough. We don't Ugh. sit in the discomfort long enough. And this is true, right? At work, it's like, you're good. Everything's fine. Like, don't worry. Like, right? Like, we don't, we don't, like, it, it's uncomfortable to deal with negative, uh, negative emotions or like, you know, humanness. And we do it to ourselves too, right? I mean, you think about it, it's like, get over this. Like, make yourself busy. Like, you, you know, like, go work on a project. Like, I'm not dealing, I can't deal with this right now. And there's such value in just sitting, not wallowing, but sitting and allowing yourself to feel what you feel, take time. And when you have the space to understand what, what was that, what, there's so much to be learned when we go through difficult things, but oftentimes we don't pause long enough to get the lesson from them. And th maybe a good place to start that habit, if you don't do that frequently, actually is at work like that, like work is another opportunity to create healthy emotional behavioral patterns that you can take with you in the rest of your life because when you're talking i mean you're hitting you're hitting me right at an area where i've always kind of needed is i've never felt like i have the time to sit in the feeling because one i'm an urgent person i'm unbelievably uh impatient i'm highly pessimistic like i'm the last person that is like ooh, that's a feeling hold on mm. right like i just don't it's just not natural for me but it but it should be, and I am I am trying to be better at doing that. I'm trying to be better at feeling something, and instead of being like, I'm going to react, that's what I do, of being like, hold on, I might still react the same way, but then when I do it, it's not a reaction. It's a, it is a deliberate yeah. next step versus a reaction. <laughs> and at work, if you can take more deliberate next steps versus reacting – we get further and our agendas are heard and we feel better and we get where we're going faster, even if that's not where you thought right. you were going to go. You know, so I'm going to transition us because there's like two things that are really coupled together, which is I see this happening with sales leaders. And it, it's one of the things that I think has is frustrating as a sales leader. It was frustrating to me then as a former sales leader, it agitates me now. It's that especially when something didn't go the, like didn't go according to plan. And typically when a number's missed, that's when that like, reactive like we've got to double down we have to be better like you feel this whiplash and this almost panic it almost feels panic as opposed to like huh that did not go as expected why not and actually uh you know i think this is one thing that i i really loved getting to do at mind body and i had an amazing leader in aaron stead who he they called him um they called him steady, you know, because he was just so even keeled, right? One of his best attributes is he was not that yo-yo, you know, kind of volatile, high, low guy. He was very steady. And what was so powerful about his steadiness is that it wasn't ever about, did we miss the number? It was more about what are you doing about it? And so what I loved working with him was, you know, I think especially again, in a high growth stage, 
you're trying to establish yourself, you can really fall into this illusion that that quarter matters in the grand scheme of things and that it will is catastrophic. And it's not about that. And so what I, what I think is really kind of, if I segue us into another kind of life lesson, that's also a leadership lesson is that this is why having the right metrics that you're measuring, they should be sounding off the alarm bells early, like very rarely in sales leadership. If you are again, a little bit more established, you've actually got some historical data should you get blindsided? If you're monitoring the metrics, there should be some early warning signs that things are not trending in the right direction. And so what you start to do as a leader is you communicate that up. And you don't, and again, as a woman, I fell into this trap, so I'm gonna call myself out, is that I remember, especially early middle of my career, I didn't wanna say that something was wrong because I thought that that was, that I was failing. And so I was like, I'll fix it. And I didn't want to say it. And by not saying anything, it wasn't me who got blindsided. It was my boss. That's not good. (laughs) And so what I, so like measuring what matters and then calling out a problem early on. And again, when you call out a problem, this is true for anybody. I don't care what level you're at. That's fine. What are you thinking about? What solutions might you have? And even if you're not 100% sure, come with some brainstorming things of like, here's what I'm thinking about doing. We got to get back on track because I, I can say as a leader, I don't care if we're off, but I do care if you're doing something about it. So that's, and so like, if I translate that into personal life, <laughs> it's it's a little bit different in the communication piece, but it's still there, which is like taking note of the data, right? There are early warning signs that are telling you something's off right? It could be those negative emotions. It could be burnout. It could be like, you're getting really bad headaches all of a sudden, right? And if we choose to ignore those, advance at your detriment, right? Because at some point you will get blindsided. And so it's pay, it's starting to pay attention to those, get, acknowledge them, be curious about them. That's interesting. What is that? Is there something maybe I could start to change that gets that back on track? And catch it earlier than later. But, you know, as in, a, in your personal life, a lot of times it's going to manifest as those negative emotions, fatigue, burnout, you know, physical pain that you want to do something about it. Don't sit on it and communicate it out of what you need or what you're doing about it so that others around you can support you. I mean, big, you're actually hitting on one of my one of my pet peeves that new leaders or even leaders who have never had really great coaching do is they think, okay, well, my job is to empower people to solve their own problems. Fair. Sometimes. I mean, we're going to go with like, sometimes that's your job. It's not your whole job sometimes, but go on, you know? And they're like, oh, so when they approach me with an issue, I like to say, well, what do you think you should do? You know, and then they pause waiting for like the sound of clapping and like, that's brilliant. And I'm like, well, I was like, one, that's a really tired management tactic is when people ask you for help and you just say, well, what do you think you should do? I was like, you're, you're going to get to the point where you're training people to just not ask you for help. You're, you're working yourself out of a job by doing that. Instead, what you're making me think of is there's a big difference between well, what do you think you should do? And sitting back and then saying, tell me what you've tried already, right? There's a big difference there because you're triggering the same point of their brain, 
but you're also eliminating the potential for you to start to solve the issue and have them say, no, I tried that. No, I tried that. No, I tried that. And then you you go, well, okay, so what do you need? Right. And it's like, it winds up being this contentious back and forth. And instead team member approaches you with an issue and you say, okay, you're coming to me because you need my help. Tell me what you've tried already. Now, if that person is like, I haven't tried anything, then it's like, okay, part of the job of the leader is you need to be doing something about it. You need to be doing anything about it. So today I'm going to help you and I'm going to tell you what you should do. But next time you're going to do it. And the next time you come over, <laughs> I'm not going to say, what do you think you should do? I'm going to ask you, what did oh you already gosh. do? And just know, I'm going to ask you that, that every time. Right? Here? Big difference. Is that yeah, it is. It is, it is now. now. Gosh, darn it. I mean, <laughs> what gold, what gold, because it's, yeah. I mean, it's, it's like any new skill. Like you, you oftentimes, like when you're coaching, it's a, it's an evolution of how you coach. And at first you might have to be more prescriptive and then it's your responsibility to teach them what you're doing, how you're thinking, what questions you're asking yourself. And then in, they do it next time and you give them feedback. And then eventually they get to a place where you can say, what do you think? But it's knowing where they're at developmentally too and taking that into consideration of how you're handling like one size does not fit all in coaching conversations. Oh, I love that so much. It's so brilliant. You're amazing. (laughs) You're, you're amazing. And actually, I feel like there's so much more. We're just like, we've hit the iceberg of just, I know what you have to uncover. (laughs) So at this point, we're going to have to pivot over to our rapid reveal. But then I want to make sure I know, I know we want to make sure that I give people an opportunity to connect with you because (laughs) I honestly, there's so much more that I know that you have and the when you know that there is a true professional resource, it's when you're talking to them and you get stronger just by being near them, right? You're starting to have that effect on me. Just talking to you is making me go into my archives and pull out things I haven't thought of in a while. And it's like, that's what effective people do for other effective people. So thank you for that. Let's pivot to our rapid oh, reveal if you are down. That's my favorite part. Oh boy. <laughs> Love it. All right. I've got five questions for you. You have 60 seconds or less to mm-hmm. answer each. I accidentally gave you a real softball for number one. feel like I know what you're going to say, but what was the last <laughs> risk you took that paid off? Oh my gosh. <laughs> you know what's so funny? This totally put me into... So this is such a funny one. I have 60 seconds. I originally was not going to answer starting the podcast because I was like, I don't know that it's paid off. And that's just me being overly critical because that's not true. Right. So here's the thing. The podcast was the best thing I did. I did it and I was really nervous, but what has come from it is it's turned into this beautiful data set. And I've been able to meet women. I never would have met otherwise you being one of them. That was purely from this podcast. I've gotten to learn and honestly, every episode that I recorded, it's like whoever I was interviewing just happened to say the thing I needed to hear that day. So I would say that is, yes, yeah, softball question. It was absolutely launching rising tide in the podcast. Following yes. your heart. Last risk you took that paid off. <laughs> Love it. Uh, Number two, what is an irrational fear oh of yours? Oh, this one is interesting in that and this has been ongoing but I I feel it more heavily now which is this idea that I missed the window and so it's it could be something like I missed the window and I I have kids now and so maybe I can't do the things that I might have done or especially with Rising Tide so much of it is like I'm trying to put this content out I've I've been able to learn so much and so it's trying to get it back out and like oh, other people are going to start talking about it. I've missed the window. It's like, that's ludicrous. And I know that because there is no such thing 
<laughs> if there's one thing I've learned from the podcast, right? It's like when you have your North Star, you will find your way as long as you stay focused on your North Star. Like the path might wind a little bit, but there isn't a, some magical window that disappears at some point. So that's my irrational fear. Oh, that's mm-hmm. a big one, though. I mean, see, now you've got me thinking about that. <laughs> okay, number three. No, there's no window. There's no window. There's no, there no is window. no window. Yeah. We're yeah. all outside. All right. Number three. <laughs> Who was the last person to change your perspective? I really struggled with this one. This one was really tough. I know. And I even still, I've, I've kind of contemplated on how I wanted to answer this one because it's, I think I'll use my husband. And what's been really interesting is poor thing. He is very perceptive. And I unintentionally diminished him from a lot of our marriage because he wasn't in tech sales and he very rarely was wrong. And so what's been really powerful in allowing him to have a voice is like, he has actually been very instrumental in helping me update some of these lies that I have told myself about either this ability to make this transition, this ability that like I can in fact succeed in a, in a different path. Um, you know, I started here great, but like, you know, he's been really huge in helping me kind of rewrite some of the narratives that I was playing over and over again to myself. So I'll give a shout out to the hubs. I mean, that's a good reminder for me. My husband also was not in tech sales. And I had this moment the other day where I was talking about an advisory call that I was on and it was a really, really good call. And he's like, oh, how was your day? And I've tried now when somebody asks me, how was your day? I try now to not say good or great. I try to give them a really real answer. And so he's like, how was your day? And I was like, I had a wonderful day. I had this amazing advisory call where I had a CRO who was redoing comp plans for a CSM team, but he was having a hard time because they just retook a look at their ICP and they're making product changes. And so now they're trying to comp on new product. And he's not really sure like what is fair in terms of attrition and um, risk management and NPS uh, and logo retention. And I w- and he just is looking at me and I was like, so yeah. And he's like, I, I those are words and letters I've never heard put together <laughs> in a sentence before. Well, who's <laughs> yeah. the target? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And he's just like, I, cause he's looking at me blankly and he's like, and that was, that was a good, he's like, I haven't heard those words put together in that way, but it sounds like it was a good call. And I was like, never mind. And I was like, never mind. You wouldn't understand. Right. But it's true. <laughs> like, we have to forgive people. Like we get too caught up in this industry thinking everybody right. knows that. Like everybody, everybody right. knows. Everybody knows right. they get it. They don't. Like we're a bunch <laughs> of weirdos. It's true. All right. Let's 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 switch the feel a bit. Number four. What's your ideal vacation? Oh man, this one was so funny. So I actually closed my eyes, and I was like, "What do I see immediately?" And I felt it first, which was I know. Ugh, I felt the sun on my skin. I'm sorry. I know yeah. that's not good but it, it's true and i gotta get vitamin I know, d so I, I it was like being uh, i pictured a pool i had a quick access to a cold beverage even if i wasn't actively drinking one i could have one right away if i wanted it i had a book in my hands and i was looking at the ocean from my my pool cabana and i am a very i don't i've always been this way even before kids like i just love to have no commitment no expectations. We want to go to dinner. We go to dinner. If we want to 
hang out by the pool all day. We're going to hang out by the pool. It's just like this permission to just do whatever your whim said you could do. And so the backdrop is some beautiful tropical paradise that is everything you could just get to by foot or, you know, maybe on a cart or something, but like minimal logistics, minimal complexity, like just be, exist, quiet, relax. (laughs) We have the same ideal vacation. (laughs) I'd be quietly sitting next to you, not feeling the need to right. converse, but just there, should right. you want to. Like the right. cold drink. I'm like a cold <laughs> drink where it's like, I'm here if you want to talk to me. You don't have to. I'll be fine on my own. I'm got plenty of ice. I'm going to be good. And I love that. Right? It's a space to just even have that and like indulge that. It's, I love that. Yeah. And number five, last mm. but not least. What is what is your favorite advice to give yeah. to someone? This one, this was another funny one to think about because originally I was like, gosh, I I really try to get away from giving advice because I find you yeah. know the 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 sales coach in me was always like, help extract the you know like often again right if you're dealing with somebody who is competent and strong in what they do like they have the answer within them, and it was Luke, my husband, who was like, that's it, that's your advice, and I was like, holy shit, you're right, like. So the, the advice is like, you're the only one who has your answer, right? Nobody else has your answer. So it's oftentimes we want somebody else to tell us, what should I do? What should I do next? Where should I go? Should I stay? Should I leave? I'm so sorry to tell you, nobody can actually answer that for you. You can take in inputs. You can let that inform you, but you and only you actually have the answers you need. <laughs> okay. That was beautiful. And it deserves a moment of silence. But then after that, first thing I want to do is just thank you for coming on and sharing such incredible Mm -hmm. insights, ideas, passion. And like I said, I imagine people are going to want to talk to you, connect with you, listen to your podcast, learn more about what you're doing to help companies be better humans at the forefront. Where can people go if they want to find you? Okay, so I'm a TikToker now. Oh, so come man. follow me if you're on TikTok. Come follow me. I've got my new favorite character is Ingrid, the inner critic. She's a real hit. But that's at Rising Tide or it's Rising Tide podcast on Instagram. It's at Rising Tide. You can find me on LinkedIn. And then Rising Tide podcast is available anywhere you listen to podcasts. If you search for that, you'll find it. And then my website is thisisrisingtide.com. And so you could see more about doing speaking now. I love, I, I don't talk about it as much, but I do still love working with companies and helping them kind of diagnose what's going on. I just don't talk about it as publicly anymore because it's a smaller part of what I do, but that's me. So come, come and reach that's out. Me. I would love to talk to you. This has been such a treat and I will always have a very soft place in my heart for the tech sales world. It's, it's, it will be forever imprinted on me and I always will have a special place for it. Oh. Wonderful. Thank you for spending your time with us. It has been wonderful. And to everybody else listening, we will catch you next time on Taking the Lead. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Taking the Lead. If you're looking for more inspiring stories from women leaders in B2B tech, then visit us at motionagency.io slash taking the lead.